All right, so um, if you can help me remember for the future, uh, Chuck, I don't want you to read again because you're really good at stealing my introductions <laughs> and it makes me annoyed. So there you go. <laughs> well, so anyway, uh, we're going to be starting this new sermon series this month. Uh, so here's the thing I was thinking about, right? So there's this particular reading practice, practice of reading the Bible, um, called dislocated exegesis. Don't worry about it. You don't need to remember it. Don't, um, but, but the idea is if you take a text, right, and you read it in a new context, different things will start to stand out to you, right? And so, for example, if you read about Jesus' healing miracles in a hospital waiting room, or if you read about Paul being a prisoner outside of a detention facility, right? There's different things that being in a new context kind of evokes and draws out from the story that you might not get otherwise. It, it kind of uh, stirs up these new and different thoughts. And so we're, we're going to be doing that a little bit in this series. Not, not so much dislocated in terms of place, right? Physical place. We'll still be here, but more reading the Bible from a different season, a different time. And so our series is called Christmas in July, and so, right, during the, the Christmas season, right, it's, we, we hear these stories all the time, right? We've heard them every single year, right? Um, but in some ways, when we read the stories in December, they're also in, inseparable from the trappings of the season, right? All the, all the snow and the carols and Santa Claus and, you know, getting together with family traditions and all this stuff's just kind of bundled together. And so... You know, when you read these stories, there's a particular way that you read them because of what all comes with it. Now, don't hear me saying that's not necessarily bad stuff. That's fine. We could keep doing it, right? But, but it means that there's one particular way that we hear the story. And so, for example, when we read Luke's birth narrative, we hear, if you're anything like me, Charlie Brown Christmas every single time, and that's exactly what it evokes every single time, right? But what if our context becomes dislocated? What if it, what if it changes it up? And so if we look at these stories during maybe a different time of year where there's not that you know, holiday feeling around, then maybe something's going to shake a little bit loose, something a little bit different is going to shake loose. And so that, this is the thing that I want to dive in with you guys. Uh, because th these stories are pretty much, not a whole lot of people are familiar with them. Um, they're not the ones that we go to, for the most part, during Christmas. And, and here's the thing as well. Is, is we're not just going to do this with the scriptures and the sermon. We're going to do this as well with some of the songs that we're doing. Because in a similar way, um, carols are, if we take a step back, if we take them out of that context and really soak into what is actually getting, trying to be getting across, then we can get something different. And now, you guys will probably know about zero of the carols, except for maybe George, because he knows everything. Um, but uh, but we, these are not carols that we sing. 
in general in church. There's this particular repertoire, right, that we have that we do during the Christmas season. And these are different, but it's different ways of reflecting upon what the what our tradition is saying about this one event, this Christmas event, and why it might be important to us even during the other parts of the year. So our goal is going to be not so much to get the, the trappings figured out, right? The seasonal stuff. We're, we're trying to take a step back from that and take a look at what does the author mean in his context when Christmas hadn't been built up yet. And then, what might it mean to us today? So today's passage, as we heard, is from the Gospel of Luke, one of the four stories of Jesus' life. And let's just point out a couple of features of this story that we heard. So first of all, note the context of the story. Everything that happens in this passage we read today reinforces Jesus' Jewishness, right? It is not depicting a Jesus who went and overthrew an entire religious system. Far from it. He was circumcised according to his religious tradition. He was presented at the temple and they offered sacrifices for the purification of both him and his mother according to his religious tradition. Right? And so from the very beginning of his story, Luke is reinforcing to us that the context of all of this, of the story, is all... Judaism. And the reason why this matters, right? Unfortunately, when we talk about the beginning of Christianity a lot, what happens is we talk a lot about Christianity superseding Judaism. It comes in and knocks it out. It replaces it. And so there's this narrative of, right, oh, the old way wasn't working, so now Jesus came and brought this new way, right? But not quite. Right? It's within this particular context. Right? God comes into this particular time and space in Judaism to work. It's not looking to get rid of Judaism for something that's better. Luke is saying from the very beginning of his narrative, right, in these ways that subtly reinforcing that what we are talking about are Jews saved by the Jewish God who's enacting salvation for the Jewish people, which is then extended to the Gentiles. Right? So that's one thing to keep track of when we're looking at this story. And that, of course, is related to the second part, in which we have a prophet and a prophetess, Simeon and Anna, the prophet's name is Simeon. He's this faithful old man that, that God had said to him that he will not die before he sees the deliverer of Israel. And so he sings this beautiful song. It's, it's called the Nunc Dimittis from the, from the first words in Latin. Now, master, let your servant Go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation, your deliverance. You prepared this deliverance in the presence of all peoples. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. It's this gorgeous song just full of emotion, right? I can now die in peace because... Like, just like you said, I've seen your deliverer, 
right? This deliverance you're about to bring about is done in the sight of everybody in the world. It's this light to the Gentiles, and it's a glory that's given to Israel. He can say now, I've seen the deliverer that's come to deliver my people. Again, reinforcing the way that this story is inescapably connected with the Jewish story. And notice this story is ultimately for the Jews, as Simeon says, and then extended to non-Jews. So Simeon does his thing. He has a song, gives a little prophecy. And then we have Anna, the prophetess. Now, unfortunately, in regards to her, uh, Luke happens to repeat this pattern that we see a lot, both in the Bible and, you know, in modern day, where women get short shrift, right? And she does have a slightly longer description about her than Simeon does, but ultimately, we don't get any of the words that she says, right? It's weird. The author goes out of his way to include her in his narrative, right? Even though... How he tells the story, it doesn't matter that she's there because she doesn't do anything and doesn't say anything, right? We just learn that she began to praise God and talk about the baby to other people. So obviously she knows what's going on, just like Simeon did. Obviously, just like Simeon, she had the Holy Spirit come down on her and and give her this information to know, you know, what the future might hold for this baby, But Luke doesn't see it fit to tell us anything of value about her except the fact that she's been a widow for 60-some-odd years, right? We don't know anything about what she said even though she's a prophet, which is fundamentally someone who says stuff. She is subsumed to Simeon. She is literally rendered mute. So anyway... um, what do we make of this whole passage here, right? This whole thing we read this morning. These couple of stories that we have that we don't really hear that much. So to me, these stories, as we've mentioned, just reinforce the degree to which the Jesus story is intimately intertwined with Judaism, with his Jewish context. We can't say that Judaism has been supplanted because the Jesus story is altogether embedded within Judaism, and then this, this other aspect sticks out to me, this aspect of yearning. The people are yearning for deliverance from their social and political situation, right? They, the people are living under Roman occupation. They are an oppressed people. And so they are looking toward God just like in the Exodus, right? That, that paradigmatic event in their history, that event to which everybody looked backwards to, to think, how does God work in history? Just like in the Exodus, they hope that God will come in to rescue them and liberate them from empire. And so they are looking for a deliverer. And what Simeon and Anna say in this story is they've found one, albeit in a little bit different form than they were expecting. There's this anticipation, there's this promise, there's this hope, right? It's all wrapped up in this prophecy, announcement, the the, the song from Simeon, and presumably from Anna as well, but we don't get her words. But for both, there's this hope of deliverance. Now, let me be clear about making this this distinction, right? So in our culture, uh, in our world, 
as the American culture, right, we don't collectively face the same kind of oppression that the ancient Jews did, right? We are Rome in this scenario, not Israel, right? But do we not still need deliverance, right? Sure, it looks different than the oppression, the oppression of oppressed people living under occupation. But do we not still need social, political, economic, religious liberation as well? Do we not need to be likewise hoping for the coming of something new where God will set things right, where things will become how they should be? And so even though our context is different in important ways, we too are searching for a deliverer who can help rescue us and bring things how they should be. And perhaps that's one of the reasons that this story still resonates with us when we read about it every single year. So may you have the eyes to see where and in what forms God might be bringing about deliverance in this very world in which we live, even in our day. May it be so.